Please note, this show contains strong language and references to human reproductive organs. Some content is not suitable for children or potentially some adults. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Goodbye Blue Mondays. <laughs> you actually did it, you son of a bitch. Who won the lottery? You won the lottery. Who won the lottery? I won the lottery. The so-called global early retirement lottery, a.k.a. girl, is not what it seems. These poor idiots who quote-unquote won the lottery aren't retired some magical dream vacation to live out their days. They're getting their dicks cut off. The brain sucked out by a ball of power-hungry women determined to erase the male species off the face of this planet. You bitch. Planet we built. I'm fucking blowing shit up. The whole fucking thing for serious. For your dick and my dick. We're blowing up the fucking transition centers, bro. We've identified the two dozen winning tickets that were stolen from our printing center in Reaganville. As far as we can determine, once these tickets are redeemed, the holders will have infiltrated all our lottery transition centers along the West Coast and will have done so in pairs. The audience craves more than the, the, the by the numbers survival journey, Gary. No, this won't be another cute Gary. You and I both know that was an anomaly. Yes, it was. And I've made my amends than everything the consortium has asked. And frankly, no one even remembers it. It was ages ago. And mm, again, it's not going to be another fucking Cuba, Gary. Have a happy retirement. And don't forget about me. And just, please reach out every once in a while. And why didn't you text me back last night? I was so worried about you, and I cannot believe that you chose to hang out with Jerry over me. I mean, what is wrong with you? I thought we had a connection. Ugh. And now. Elliot inquired, even though he was unable to hear the answer. As luck would have it, the sucker punch that had just ruined his triumphant exit clocked him directly in the ear. So as his assailant explained just how he came to be there, all Elliot could hear was the ringing inside his own head. If he could comprehend the assailant's words, he would have heard Landon Kilgore, the man he blamed for all of his woes, stating sternly, You broke your restraining order, asshole! You come near us one more goddamn time and I will end you! I will end you. Did you fucking hear me? Elliot did not hear him. I will end you. And with that, Landon Kilgore was off, marching, nay, strutting, down the street with the swagger of triumph he had just snatched away from Elliot. Fuck you. Elliot muttered pathetically and under his breath as he pushed himself back up onto his feet. You don't have to worry to see me again because I won the lottery. That's right, I won the Goddamn global early retirement lottery. Uh, technically, his ticket was stolen. Twice, in fact. <laughs> A reality Jerry Dingle, still sprawled out on the floor of the manhole men's room, was about to confront. What the goddamn fucking fuck? My fucking goddamn fucking face! Elliot fucking Pilgrim, what the fucking hell did you do? No. No, 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 the fucking ticket, the fucking ticket, the fucking ticket, you dick! You stole my fucking total fucking dick, Elliot! Where the fuck is he? Joshy, where'd he go? Who? The fucking asshole who's buying brewskis all night. Your friend? He ain't my fucking friend, dude. 
Where the fuck is he? I don't know. Left, I guess. When? Again, I don't know. Well, thanks for fucking nothing, you dick. <laughs> nice tits, asshole. What? Your face. Jerry, still a little, well, mostly drunk, adjusted his gaze to the mirror behind the bar, ah! where he found the two voluptuous Beerstein breasts now emblazoned upon his left cheek, staring right back at him. I'm gonna kill him. Come get some. As Jerry's red, bloodshot eyes slowly adjusted to the bright light of day, he finally had the mind to check the time. It was now 10.19 a.m., the exact time at which Jerry Dingle realized that he had completely forgotten the number of the municipal pickup zone listed upon the back of the winning ticket Elliot had absconded with. Nine? Nine? Seven? Sixteen? Even if he did remember it was Municipal Pickup Zone 6, he had no way and no time to get there. Ah! So, in a fit of impotent Son rage, of Jerry ball. grabbed and violently threw ah! the closest thing to him, a trash can. A rather light and mostly empty trash can, save for some recently discarded Blade Johnson masks. His wheels turned, searching for a remedy for this grave wrong which had been perpetrated upon him. Son of a bitch, balls, balls, fucking son of a bitch, balls, fucking balls. Then it hit him. A gust of wind carrying one of the discarded Blade Johnson baby masks, that is. Blade! Yeah! Yeah! He'll know what to do! Jerry hoped. Of course, not yet realizing what was at the end of the road named Blade Johnson. Even so, it was a direction, and that was something Jerry desperately needed in this moment. So, he strapped on his Blade Johnson mask and set forth, likely toward more disappointment. This isn't over, Elliot. Not by a long ways. He was right about that, at least. Welcome to Goodbye Blue Mondays, created by Gregory Bain. Produced and directed by Gregory Bain and Logan Donovan. Okay, folks, if you want to keep your free same-day drone drop and complimentary week of CPC streamcast, I need you to quiet it down. With any luck, we're about to be a live set here, okay? Okay, thank you. Billy, keep him back. Christ's sake. Oh, many goats. Um, did anyone think to remove the sack from this man's face? Well, we were getting to that. Um, the situation was a little tense for a moment there. That's gotta be him. The hostile. I mean, he was obvious out last night, and with the gun, we all see the gun, right? right? Did I do that? Definitely gotta be the hostile that shot us down, and... Harry here, well, <laughs> he's a goddamn hero for he taking him out last night with the sack. Yeah. He didn't shoot us Harry, out. Harry, goddamn bless you. I'm afraid you're still suffering from some shock. He hit his head on the way down. We we should probably have him checked out. Is there a medic on the Oh, thank God. <gasps> well, look at that. Oh, God, I thought we'd killed another one. All's well that ends well. And my, oh, my, would you look at that face? He's perfect. Old world, rugged, man of the people. Everyone, let's roll. Someone find that golden ticket. We must present it to our lucky winner here. <clears throat> oh, he rises. Sir, I am Howard Avery, you may have heard of me, and today is your lucky day, for I'm about to make you the most famous man on the entire globe. Who are you people? 
What what did he say? Who hit me? Who speaks this? Whatever uh, he's Howard, speaking. Howard, you just have to listen through the accent. He's he's speaking. It's basically English. Um, I'm certainly not hearing English in there, but okay. Is he the one that hit me with the sack? What 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 was that? He's a little upset about the sack incident. Okay, we'll just tell him we're very sorry. And that I, Howard Avery, am Avery? here to grant him the opportunity of a lifetime. Howard Avery? The Howard Avery? Now that I understood. It turns out Hazil Solorzano had heard of this human man named Howard Avery. Most of those living in what used to be called Central and South America had. In fact, the live airing of 2050's Conflict Survival Cuba had made Howard globally famous for a matter of 12 and a half minutes. A record news cycle that year. Famous because of a very public meltdown caught on 83 cameras. The cause of which was another human man who called himself Che. The first conflict country citizen to ever refuse the golden ticket. And the reason conflict survival is no longer a live streaming production. Found it! Wonderful. Here, show him this and tell him he's a winner! I think he understands what you're saying, oh. Howard. Oh, do you, sir? Do you understand the monumental opportunity that Golden Ticket represents? As Hazil cradled the Golden Ticket reading, You are a winner, <laughs> a wide grin spread across his face. Mm, yep, I do think he understands. Oh, thank God. I thought we might have another Cuba in the making. Do oh. not dare mention that travesty. The travesty and reason Hazil was smiling so broadly was not just that the human man called Che had circumvented the entirety of Conflict Cuba by refusing to take the golden ticket. For Hazil and many other citizens of so-called conflict countries, Che's defiance had marked the first time they had witnessed the mighty consortium of productive countries questioned, and in turn, exposed. Che's refusal to play his part in the CPC's narrative and Howard Avery's subsequent meltdown showed Hazil and others like him, there may be a way out from under the thumb of the mighty CPC. I understand. I am the winner. I think, I think he gets it. And this is my show. Well, it's technically my show, and, and you are my star, my muse. <gasps> oh, wow. Would you look at that? I think, I think I actually understand what he's saying. Howard may have understood the words, but he was certainly missing the intent. Yes, Hazil would play his part, but he planned on rewriting the narrative. So, golden ticket gripped tightly in hand, he reached down to retrieve his rifle, oh dear. promptly thrusting it skyward and yelled, Viva la revolución! <laughs> well, now that I didn't understand. I can't believe you didn't even invite me to the meeting to unveil my plan, Dina. It's my plan! I'm inviting myself to explain the plan, which you will surely get wrong. And I'm telling them it's my plan, because they need to know who's running this place, and it ain't you. While Howard attempted to decipher the strange utterances from Hazil Solorzano, back in the secure underground bunker, underneath the behemoth structures that are Lottery Transition Center number three, Dina Lowry was attempting to explain the lottery infiltration by unknown infiltrators to the heads. The giant heads. Heads are gonna roll! Roll, we say! Obviously, but I, I have a plan. Well, out with it. Running it up the chain to the heads was an arduous and necessary step that Dina Lowry 
hated. Primarily because of the theatrical presentation of her higher-ups as giant hologram heads towering over her in a not-so-subtle form of visual condescension. That, and she loathed giant head number five, who always managed to situate her giant hologram head directly behind Dina so that she might ogle her tight caboose, as she liked to say. We allow these individuals to integrate as we would... Oh, don't mind me. <clears throat> any winner. But they didn't win? You don't think they know, do you? No. How could they? Well, there's been some escapes. They were caught. And dealt with. Still... People talk. Rumors. Just rumors. No one has a clue. Or hard evidence. Anyway, as I was saying, integrate. Take them through phase one and two. If the word got out, it'd be the end. The end! We are taking this very seriously, I assure you. We need a plan. A plan? Yes. Something actionable. Like that tight caboose. As I was saying... Number five, this is one in number three, 84. Noted. We did not strive for the equal right to harass our fellow sisters. Sure. Okay, back on track, ladies. We must formulate a plan. A plan? Yes. We need a plan. Actionable. Mm -hmm. 385. Noted. Yes, plan. Yes, actionable. Hey! Instead of going through the pre-retirement simulations in phase three, we go straight into the freeform world-building simulation, which will allow EOSD-F to reveal the true nature of their plot, the players involved, and how exactly they infiltrated the lotto system. Come again. We use the EOSD-F to look through the infiltrator's memories so we can find out who or what is behind this plot and crush them! Now you make it explainable. And it's my plan I came up with that. It's mine. Uh, it's, that's my plan. Again, ESOD-F stands for Elemental Suspension of Disbelief Forever. Earlier manifestations of the technology were dubbed virtual reality, whereas the ESOD-F takes that a step further, striving for a fully immersed sensory reality. A simulation quite unrecognizable from real life. May your retirement make all your dreams come true. Nice plan. And you are... Rhea? Hi, Rhea. Number four, switch me places. 386! I think worth it. Anyway, that is our plan. My plan. Probe their minds and get to the bottom of this insidious plot. Insidious indeed. Indeed. Hold, please. I did not appreciate your outburst. There is a hierarchy here, and in the future I would ask that you respect that. But it is my plan. I was in the room, and as your superior, I prompted its formulation. Thus, my plan. Permission granted. Once the actionable information is extracted, we pull the plug on these infiltrators. Infiltrators don't deserve retirement. It wouldn't be fair to the winners. Progress reports would be expected. Signing off on that sweet, sweet caboose. And Maria, call me. 387. I'm already signed off. Hey, it was my turn to sign. Maria, progress reports will be expected. Noted. As will you making me look good. Will also be expected as well. On it. You're not going to call giant head number five, are you? Probably not. I'd recommend that. Wait, did you call giant head number five? Probably not. Now standing in the middle of the street, in the middle of a neighborhood that looked as if it would murder you given the chance, Monica was sincerely second-guessing her recent decision-making. But she found herself unwilling to accept that her friend, whom she felt very confused about, had disappeared off the face of the earth without so much as a goodbye. 
The whole affair made her very frustrated, as she imagined herself as one who normally engaged in a very thoughtful, even logical approach to life. Though that self-perception was waning as she ascended the stairs to Elliot Pilgrim's apartment. Each step unearthing memories, recent and far, revealing a pattern of behavior driven by a sometimes manic need to be loved and to be needed. But I have all that with Angelica. And with Melanie before her, and Michael before that, not to mention Damon, Susie, Yvonne, May, Alice, Rupert, Tawny, and the list continues on. But I'm happy now. Content. She said aloud, realizing it most likely wasn't true, being that she was currently standing in front of Elliot Pilgrim's apartment door. Elliot? Elliot? Are you in there? Elliot? Elliot was not in there, which in and of itself was not gasp-worthy. No, what grabbed Monica's attention so forcefully was the funeral pyre made of clothes, furniture, a rug, kitchen utensils, unopened boxes of wine you can drink, and random knickknacks in the middle of the living room floor. Jesus, Elliot. What happened to you? Perhaps the hastily written text graffitied across the living room wall could provide some insight. I won the fucking lottery. Please burn everything you find here. Shit. Elliot couldn't let the rebirth by fire notion go, even in the absence of a way to create fire. Monica had been through a whirlwind of emotion these past few hours, and now, sitting slumped and defeated on the edge of Elliot's sofa, another emotion bubbled to the surface. Loss. But why? I mean, what did I lose? Why the hell did I even come here? Seriously, Monica, you gotta get it. If she were able to finish that thought, she would have muttered the word together. But her attention was interrupted by noticing an incongruous giant teddy bear at the bottom of the pyre. Man, you're heavy. What in the world? Monica had discovered the incongruous giant teddy bear was more than just a cute, snugly stuffed animal. It was also a storage receptacle with a zipper on its back. Unzipping it, Monica inadvertently unleashed a cavalcade of cascading ephemera from Elliot's past onto the living room floor. Images of him, his wife, and their daughter captured in printed photos, cards, child-drawn pictures, and small reminders of a life lived together. What the fuck? What the fuck indeed. Shoved in among the mess of family ephemera were legal papers. Distressing legal papers. Such as the one Monica just retrieved from the floor, which read, Restraining order placed by Sarah Pilgrim on Elliot Pilgrim. Temporary order for protection against stalking, aggravated stalking, or harassment. Jesus, Elliot. What did you do? And what is this? It was a mini-mini microdrive. A quite small portable storage device compatible with all current UR products... Well, products. Please don't be pervy porn. Please don't be pervy porn. Unrecognized mini, mini micro drive. Would you like to pair to this device? Yes. Perry, Elliot Pilgrim's mini, mini micro drive. Oh my god, what is this? These were photos. Recent photos. Somewhat creepy photos. 
Photos taken from odd angles, long distances, through windows. The subject of these photos, always Sarah Pilgrim, now Sarah Kilgore, and her daughter, Abby, both looking a few years older than they appeared in Images with Elliot. You told me they were dead. Technically, Elliot always used the word lost. Everyone implied the rest, and he was happy to let them do so. Widower is a much better look than angry, obsessive ex who can't let things go. You lied to me. You fucking lied. As Monica stared down at a telephoto image of Elliot's wife and daughter seated at their dining room table across from one Landon Kilgore, the man Elliot blamed for ruining his life, Monica experienced the newest addition to her emotional whirlwind. Anger. Well, a confused anger. An anger that wanted answers, and to be talked off the ledge, to be told this thing she was seeing with her own eyes wasn't true. That this wasn't the Elliot she loved. No, I don't... Do I? No. There was only one way to know anything for sure. Allura, what time is it? Time is 10.26 a.m. The question for Monica was, did she truly want to know the answers to the questions now swirling around in that brain of hers? Obviously, yes. She said, gripping her winning lottery ticket as she marched out the door with 34 minutes to make it to Municipal Pickup Zone 6, ready to travel to retirement and back to uncover the truth and hopefully calm her manic beast within. All right, let's not be dramatic. I just need closure. Fair enough. And now back to the Ben Brusinski Show. Brought to you by the CPC Stream. Look for Conflict Survival Honduras coming to the stream this Saturday. Oh my god. Did, did you watch the lotto last night? Uh, with you, in fact. That's right. That, that is right. Well, I'm sorry to say you didn't win. Um, but hey, hey, we all kind of won. Oh, Am I right? Brooklyn Hawks Angel Costume. Brooklyn! That outfit. Uh-uh. Uh, and then <laughs> mowing down the CZs. That was hot. I'm saying like so. Uh, 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 okay, all right. How many times have I asked you not to masturbate in front I, of I, me? I, well, you know I can only finish when you look me in the eye, right? <laughs> <laughs> the reality of human existence from its inception until now is that most see what they want to see in one another, often ignoring what is plainly in front of them. Much of this has to do with the human convention of viewing others as nothing more than players in their own grand story. A practice perpetuated by the late 20th century human parenting technique of raising one's offspring to believe that they were the center of the universe. A notion that is very hard to shake once it has been instilled. Of course, not all human parents abide by this technique, leaving some poor offspring to never be made the center of anything. Misfits and outsiders forced to share the world with the billions of mini-swirling, navel-gazing center of the universes that surround them. Dinner's on the table, Dad. <clears throat> oh, uh, sorry, Dad. Sorry. As these misfit human offspring grow, surrounded by the smiling masses with their nuclear families, unearned confidence, and lives of bliss, it's not long before the resentments take hold. Anything else, Dad? Okay, then. I'll be in my room. Resentments that fester and grow. Resentments that ask, why don't I have what they have? Resentments that seek to blame and malign and destroy. 
Resentments that seek to punish those they feel are responsible for their woes. Much like 14-year-old Andy Johnson, now donning his quite realistic grown man muscle suit, hashtag meninist t-shirt, and the signature mask of his alter ego, Blade Johnson. Hell yeah! With his grown man dude bro cosplay made complete by a deep voice modulator, Blade will rally his misfit brothers in shared resentment, however wrong and obviously misguided they are, on a quest to bring about his own version of revolution. Testing one. Testing one, two. A petty revolution, mired in a singular desire to punish the one person he believes wronged him. Welcome, Blade Johnson. Are you ready to go live? Okay. Target bug, bitches. It was 10.44 a.m., and Elliot had made it with time to spare. The run-in with the man who had ruined his life, Landon Kilgore, had momentarily upset his triumph, but he was back on track now, sitting at the municipal pickup Zone 6 bus stop, ticket clutched firmly in his hand as he watched the synthetic wheat field swaying peacefully in the wind, letting his troubles once again melt away. Oh man, oh, this, is, oh, this, is, this is so awesome. It is awesome. This is it's a hell of a thing. You know, this, this winning, winning this whole thing. I mean, I, I, I could hardly believe it when they called out those damn numbers. I was like, you know, but uh, my wife, my wife was, she was pissed though. She, she, you know, she picked the loser again. So she's just going to have to keep on trying, I guess. But I, don't, I don't know. Well, attempting to let his troubles melt away, his efforts to that end were being thwarted by his fellow winner, Marty Dickens. A man as allergic to silence as he was others' personal space. Yep, it is a hell of a thing, isn't it? You left your wife? <laughs> yeah, kids too, huh? It's very, you know, it's new beginnings. Clean slate, a tabula rasa for me, sort of. It's what I. It's how I looked at it. But what about you? Who'd you? Who'd you? Um, who'd you leave in the in the rear view? Monica. He said, surprised to have said it. Oh, is that your, uh, uh is that your sweetheart? Huh? Uh, what? To Mo Monica. No. Uh, hey, can we just sit here? Quiet? Okay, okay, sure. I, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> all right. You're not much for the gab, huh? Well, hey, look, we're not all blessed with it. That's for sure. <laughs> you, uh, you just go on and sit here all quiet-like, and you, you ponder your Monica, huh? Uh, hey, I, I gotta say, I hope you got one last chance at bat before all this, huh? If you know what I mean, huh? Winky? Uh, <clears throat> boy, my wife, she almost didn't let me uh, mount the plate. But let me tell you, I got there. <laughs> I got there. As Marty Dickens regaled the tale of his final coital expression with his wife, whom he left behind... Elliot's mind pondered why exactly he had just uttered Monica's name aloud. He hadn't left her behind. She was not his to leave behind. In fact, in the light of day, he had no feelings for her whatsoever. Well, that's a lie. He realized, suddenly overcome by the creeping feeling of regret. I mean, the performance could have been better, but that's, I'm not going to sit here and dwell on that. I should have said goodbye. To, to Monica? Yeah. Well, hey, buddy. You ain't on the bus yet. Well, I'll be. Would you look at that? He wasn't on the bus yet, but even through the fog of his late-stage regret, he knew there was no turning back. 
Whatever glimmer of hope Monica spurred in him was gone. All he was really leaving behind was a life lived alone and unfulfilled. Working in the bowels of bubble wrap station number 10. This perspective brought a rush of relief over him as he squinted, looking across the flowing field of synthetic wheat, trying to get a better look at me as I waved to him from my perch upon an old, very illegal gas engine tractor. What the hell? Oh man, somebody is gonna roll for driving that thing around. Bam! Come on! Bus is right on time. How's that for a first impression, huh? Hello, lovely. Janet, you two got good tickets. Yeah, in my hot little hand right there. Yeah, I do. Get in, scan in here. After you. Well, well, thank you, sir. Don't be cute, just scan it and you're on your way. I do not mind if I do, thank you very much. Congratulations, you're a winner! Congratulations, take a seat next online. Elliot had never considered what it would actually be like to win the Global Early Retirement Lottery. The mechanics of it. He did imagine there'd be more fanfare than the act of boarding a normal-looking bus to a destination unknown. Where were the balloons, streamers, the overzealous person yelling congratulations in his face? As far as he could tell, there wasn't even champagne or an imitation cheese plate. Just him, sitting in silence on a bus with other winners who, save Marty Dickens, all looked quite sad especially the woman weeping in the corner. The woman? So much for the plot to rid the world of men, he thought, then immediately said out loud. Yes, while not a plot to rid the world of men, there's always a tidbit of truth in the ridiculous nonsense humans would have themselves believe. But we'll get to that soon enough. For the time being, Elliot would sit back, relax, and think about where it was he wanted to retire. May you retire early and happily, y'all completely missing Monica Levy's pleading cries for the driver to Stop the bus! Goodbye Blue Monday stars Logan Donovan as Elliot Pilgrim, Jennifer LaFleur as Monica Levy, Travis Schwartz as Jerry Dingle, and Jonathan Freeman as the author. With Max Deacon as Langdon Kilgore, John Hudson Odom as Howard Avery, Braxton Molinero as Harry Truman, Wolf Gunner as Brett Nichols, Alex Kyle as Molly Geary, John Clavier as Devin Mitchell, Lindsay Pulsifer as Dina Lowry, Megan Ketch as Rhea Varma, Amanda Springs, Ren Vogel, Charmaine Shaw, and Ashley Randall as the Giant Heads, Max Sangimino as Andy Johnson, Adam Jeffries as Blade Johnson, Bob Turton as Marty Dickens, Ren Vogel as Lottery Bus Driver. Written by Gregory Bain. Produced and directed by Gregory Bain and Logan Donovan. Sound engineering by Darren Augustus. Music by Ryan Bain. Sound design, mix, and master by Gregory Bain. Goodbye Blue Mondays is a lovely machine and story engine production. Developed by the Story Lab Collaborative. If you've enjoyed listening, please take a moment to rate and review. And don't forget to tell all your friends. We're sure they'll be eternally grateful to you for sharing your exquisite taste. 
For more information, artwork, and merch, please visit GoodbyeBlueMondaysPod.com. Thank you for listening to Season 1 of Goodbye Blue Mondays. Goodbye.